Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Johnny T-Shirt, always that best place to get your Carolina gear. And if you're going to get Carolina football gear, you need to do it because Carolina football season starts in a little over a month against South Carolina and Charlotte. I've got Buck Sanders with me today on this podcast, and I've also got Mike Ingersoll. Mike, it's been a while since we've talked, man. What's been going on? Uh, not the man. It's good to, good to hear from you. Good to talk with you again. I'm glad you guys had me on tonight. Um, usually I'm on with Siegley, especially during the season, but it's nice to switch it up a little bit and talk to you guys. Yeah, you're on with the A-team uh, tonight. No, no offense, <laughs> John, but Mike, let me ask you this, and since I haven't talked to you in a while, and I, I want Buck to chime in as well, your thoughts on how uh, this offseason for Carolina football has gone. Certainly, uh, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse, but your thoughts on Mike Brown, everything that's gone on since he was hired as we head into preseason camp. Well, it was, it started off uh, what seemed like was going to be a little rocky with some of his hires. And then all of a sudden he immediately flipped it on its ear and turned into one of the best coaching staff assemblages in college football this year. Um, so that it's, it, it started off looking like it was going to be bad and he, he turned that around and then all of a sudden, you know, recruiting looked like it wasn't going to go so great. And he started turning that around, um, you know, had some ups and downs in recruiting, but overall I'd give it, you know, we ended up in the black. Uh, if you want to think of it that way, we ended up in the black with recruiting. We're not in the red. Um, things went well and we got some kids that uh, I didn't expect us to get. We missed on some kids I didn't expect us to miss on, but again, overall I'd say it was positive. And then the general buzz around the program, it's, it's, it's back. Um, now, I saw today that season tickets have sold out. At least that's the the message that we're getting from from the school, which means that if they're not 100% sold out, then they're pretty pretty close to sold out, which is one heck of an improvement from years past. So there's fan excitement. Uh, there's certainly player excitement. If you follow any of the guys on Twitter or any of their online presences, you'll you you, you see that there's genuine excitement from the players. Um, and and I've said this on podcasts recently. Uh, I think the last podcast that EJ and uh, John and I did, you know, player excitement will get you, you know, player enthusiasm, you know, in the first year of a new coaching hire will get you one or two wins against people you probably shouldn't beat. So, um, you know, it's encouraging to see the, the, the fans reaction to it, but really it's even more encouraging to see the players reaction to Mac and what he's doing and what he's bringing to the table. You know, they're the ones in the meeting rooms, they're the ones on the practice field. So they definitely see something that's worth being excited about. And I think that should, that should that should carry some weight with the fan base. Indeed, uh, we got a lot we can talk about on the show. But Buck, let me bring you in here and let's talk about fan excitement versus uh, the media predictions. And it's always funny when people get twerked up over media votes, especially in the preseason. Uh, the All ACC football team is basically loaded as Clemson's team, and I, I think rightfully so until somebody proves otherwise. Uh, but Carolina picked down at the bottom of the coastal or sixth out of seventh on the coastal. You had a column earlier in the week about it. I just don't think it's that big a deal for me personally to see some a team that I follow rank low because I think it. you always want to start low and end up higher rather than be picked high and end up low. But 
your thoughts overall on not necessarily that selection, but how that selection maybe has sort of galvanized the fan base maybe going into preseason camp? Yeah, Tommy, I, I don't know about galvanizing the fan base, but here here's a couple of things about preseason polls that, you know, I think about. And, and one is, you know, most people will say, well, they don't matter. You know, it's just going to depend on what happens on the field. And to a great extent, that's true. But it's also about program perception. Uh, so, you know, when you're, you're picked that low, uh, it's easy to get a chip on your shoulder, whether you're a fan or whether you're a member of the team. Uh, you, you sort of feel like, wait a second, we shouldn't be picked this low. Why we picked lower than Duke? Uh, all sorts of things come into play when you think about whether or not you should pay attention to these polls. But, you know, I do think they matter. I don't think they matter you know, it's, it's not worth, you know, cutting your wrists over, but at the same time, the fact that North Carolina was picked that low, I can see how that might rile up the, the fan base. Uh, now on the other side of that equation, this is a team that's won five games in the last two years, but you know, a lot of things go into fans expectations. Some people would rather be picked higher. Uh, so that, you know, it draws attention to the program. Pundits are talking about it, like Clemson. Would would Clemson really rather be picked sixth in the Atlantic Division? No, uh, because they want people talking about them. They want people focused on them. Uh, they want that attention, and, as, and they're entitled to it. Uh, so, you know, you can spin that a couple of different ways. You can say, well, I like low expectations so we can exceed them. But that that's kind of a game we all play, you know, depending on where our team is picked and, and that sort of thing. It's not meaningless. It's not going to decide any games on the field, but it does uh, have a factor to play in fans' expectations and, and how a, a team is treated by the media during the year and the attention that that team gets certainly matters the way the college football polls are set up um, where you start out in the first, you know, I guess the first college football playoff poll or whatever, you want to be as high as possible in that. But Mike, as a player, as a former player, uh, did it matter where you guys were picked going into a season? Do players pay attention to that at all? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I mean, we, we notice it. Um, it's, it's all a matter of how you react to it. Uh, you know, we, we understood that it's, it's like Buck just said, I mean, things will play themselves out on the field. And as much as you want to say that these preseason rankings are based on data and analytics and people that actually know what they're talking about, um, you can never really predict how a team is going to react to the first game of the season and the second game of the season, how they're going to react to, uh, winning a few games or even losing a few games. Um, it, there's surprises every year. I mean, nobody expected UConn in 2008 with Donald Brown to be five and five and oh, six and oh, whatever they were at one point. Um, you know, no one expected them to be any good. It was surprising that Rutgers back in 2006 was undefeated going into the Louisville game and it looked like one of them could be 
playing for the BCS national championship. I mean, that, that was, that was unexpected. So you, you never know what these preseason rankings, how they're really going to shake out. But from a player's perspective, yeah, I mean, we notice it. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a kick to the gut, especially when, you know, in Chapel Hill, you're in sort of an echo chamber, right? So when there's a lot of buzz around the program, because I've been in the situation where there's been a lot of buzz and where there hasn't been any buzz. And when there's a lot of buzz, you know, you get kind of hyped up and you start believing the BS and you start thinking, yeah, yeah, we're something people are noticing. And then, you know, rankings come out or preseason, you know, preseason rankings come out and you're lower than you expected to be. And you realize that, oh, um, the people who are talking about us are just right here in our immediate vicinity. Um, People who are noticing us um, are just in our noticing us positively are just in our immediate vicinity. Uh, the 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 bigger picture, the national perception, like Buck was talking about, isn't exactly where we've been told it is. So it's a little kick to the gut. It's a it's an ego shot, but uh, but again, ultimately, things are things never really shake out the way you think they're going to from a from a preseason ranking standpoint. Um, again, teams are going to respond to a couple of wins or a couple of losses in different ways, uh, and you have no idea what kind of team you have until you know, you face that situation early on in the season. So, Buck, you know, I don't know if I would care as a player. I've never been there. Certainly you want people talking about you. But one thing I find interesting on Inside Carolina message boards, and it's not some people, it's not certainly not everybody, but there are a few that think that Carolina is being wrong for whatever reason by the local media or the ACC media by being ranked so low. And I could be blowing it out of proportion a little bit, but realistically, the team won five games. And realistically, most of the media people that do this stuff for a living, most, not all, certainly not the ones that follow, uh, that work for Inside Carolina for sure, but most uh, base their decisions off of that. Like we've talked about before, recency bias. So my question, Buck, in a roundabout way is, if you were ranking this team, if you were one of those ACC members, uh, media members that voted on this poll, where would you put Carolina in your preseason poll? Well, uh, you're not going to trap me off that easy. <laughs> <Come> uh, <on. laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, I'm not. I, I don't. I what? I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. So. <laughs> Um, you know, a sixth place team in the coastal division, there's been plenty of sixth place teams in the coastal division, uh, that, or in the Atlantic division that over the last, uh, 10 years have gone on to bowl games. So, uh, you know, in terms of whether or not a sixth place finish prediction knocks you out of a bowl game. That's not necessarily true. And, and to my, in my opinion, uh, making a bowl this year is a successful year for the UNC football team. And a really good year for North Carolina is to get to a bowl. Anything other than that, you could talk about uh, sixth place, fourth place, fifth place, whatever you want to talk about. Um, I think that, that should be the like the benchmark. Get to a bowl. Now, as far as local media and ACC media, honestly, 
most of those guys, most of the local media and ACC media, they're not going down into the, you know, weeds and, and figuring out, oh, we've got this many returning starters and, and they were this caliber of a player. And we've looked at the transfer portal and we know who's coming in, who's leaving. We know what this loss is going to mean in terms of personnel and what that loss is going to mean in personnel and have figured out, well, there's coaching changes. What's that? That they don't do that. That's, that's not, that's not the average beat writers, um, task is to figure all of that out. What they're doing is they're looking at national publications. They, they'll look at, you know, Athlon, they'll look at Lindy, they'll look at Street and Smith, they'll look at Phil Steele, they look at all these national magazines, which rank teams by, you know, you know, in their division and in their conference, and they're going to pull out, they're not going to deviate dramatically from what the national people are saying because a lot of those national folks and you got to throw ESPN's uh, football power index into the equation, uh, Bill Connolly's S and P plus projections, all of that, you know, you can look at those and, you know, shuffle a card here or there. And that's how it's going to come out at the ACC media. Uh, you know, they're going to look at those projections and that's, they're going to take their cues from people that, uh, kind of do this for a living year round. So, um, I, I, it's not the ACC local media or not the local media, not the ACC media that is downgrading UNC in this instance is that the local media, ACC media take their cues from people that, you know, are, are kind of on the cutting edge or, you know, sort of do this under a magnifying glass year round. And then they vote accordingly. And, and from that, if you're using that data, then sure, you should pick UNC sixth because that's what all the data is telling you. Is the data right? We'll see. But uh, it's not a local media or ACC media bias, in my opinion, uh, that has put UNC where they are in these predictions. I'm going to ask Mike same question, but first I'm going to talk about johnnytshirt.com. We talked about them at the uh, opening of the podcast. They are, of course, Inside Carolina podcast sponsor. They're also a great place for any Carolina fan to buy their Carolina gear, Franklin Street, or online, johnnytshirt.com. Go in-store, great customer service. Deal with them online, great customer service. Anything you could possibly want. Carolina related, certainly plenty of Carolina football swag. The Mac is back t-shirt, still a popular item. JohnnyT-shirt.com. And if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, you get 10% off your order, either online or in store, and you can't beat it. And uh, I, I'm sure that uh, many of you need some more Carolina stuff. Call them up, visit them online, or visit them on Franklin Street. They're alumni. Uh, locally owned and alumni operated. They know what you need. They know what they can get you. And you will be satisfied with your Carolina gear from Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Mike Ingersoll, I'm going to ask you the same question, and then I want to move deeper into the podcast. But if you were picking the preseason polls for this Carolina team, A, where would you put them? And B, since I don't think I've asked you this summer, 
what is your expectations or what do you think would be a positive year for North Carolina? I'd put them exactly where they are because they won five games over the past two years and nothing's really changed from a roster standpoint from those past two years except for the coaching staff. And we don't know what this coaching staff, as it's compiled, uh, is going to actually pull off. So, I mean, I'd have them right where they are because I don't have any evidence to the contrary. Um, or at least evidence that would make me think that they should be ranked any higher than that. I don't think that they are the worst team in the division, so I wouldn't have them dead last. Um, but I also don't think they're much better than, you know, scraping the bottom until they prove me wrong. And the reason, you know, another reason I'd put them that low is because, you know, there is a a, a big element of the unknown here. And if, if you rank someone, rank a team low like that, you know that they only have, you know, they only have upside, right? So all they can do is surprise you. They can't possibly disappoint you at this point. So if I'm a, you know, a beat writer um, and I'm, I'm in charge of picking, you know, doing preseason rankings in the ACC, I put Carolina right where they are and hope that they surprise me. Now, part B, your question was, you know, what's a, what's, what's a positive, what's a, what's a good season for them? Buck hit the nail on the head when he said it's a, it's a bowl game, right? Would be an absolutely spectacular turnaround for this year. You know, we're looking at potentially a freshman quarterback. We're looking at uh, a true freshman quarterback. So not a, not a red shirt, not, not, not a kid with a couple of starts under his belt that kept his red shirt. We're talking about a true freshman quarterback. That's never played college football before. We might have that situation. We got a bunch of new guys um, uh, across the board. We have some transfers um, that I believe a, couple can play several are gonna have to sit um so you know there's there's a lot of unknown there's a lot of question marks around this team from a performance standpoint so a bowl game six wins would be absolutely unbelievable um i think that's an absolute win um complete turnaround from where it's been and i think it's possible because like i said earlier enthusiasm will win you one or two games you're not supposed to win um and it'll keep you in games you you shouldn't necessarily be in um, that was my experience when Butch came on that first year in 07. We obviously didn't make a bowl game, but we were in a lot of games that we probably shouldn't have been in. And it was off of, you know, pure excitement from the players and also, you know, the element of surprise against some of these other teams because they didn't have a lot of film on us. You know, the only film they would have would be the previous couple of games we'd played that year. So in terms of scheming against, you know, scheming against us, they really have, they had nothing to go off of from a game planning standpoint. Um, they were having to watch film, uh, of old stops that our coordinators were at, and that's difficult to game plan against. So, um, you know, I'd say a bowl game is is a win. I would I would temper expectations and say you're probably looking at f- four wins. Four wins is is a win on the season. Five wins is better, and six is a six is a dream. I, I do not disagree with any of that, Buck. Um, your thoughts on what Mike's had to say, and then then I want to dig into the new coaching spa- coaching staff aspect. Uh, of this because I think it's going to be huge this season. No, no, Tommy, I was just going to follow up, uh, you know, as we got into it with uh, the prediction, the sixth place prediction, and and just add this point, which I, I think is an important one. The Over the last 10 years or so, the difference between the second place team in, in, the, in the ACC Coastal Division and the sixth place team in the ACC Coastal Division has not been great. You know, we're, we're talking about very thin margins. There's a lot of parity in uh, the Coastal Division. Let's say 
What happens if uh, Virginia's quarterback, Bryce Perkins, gets hurt? How's that going to affect their season? W- what happens if, uh, you know, Tate Martell at Miami or no other quarterback on their roster can step up and lead that team on offense? You know, what happens if, uh, you know, take your pick, you know, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, what, what happens if their defense doesn't, rebound the way people think that it will rebound. I mean, there's so many unknowns. Uh, Injuries play a huge factor, as anybody associated with North Carolina should be well aware, that, you know, injuries can turn a season around quickly, positively and negatively. In 2015, North Carolina had like zero injuries. Uh, 2017, 2018, they had an avalanche of injuries. So the margins are so thin in the Coastal Division is that constantly you see teams that were picked first, finished fifth, fourth. You see teams uh, that were picked fourth or fifth win the division. It, it's The margins in the Coastal Division are very, very thin. So uh, for that reason, that's another reason not to get that upset about where uh, UNC was picked by the ACC media. I agree with that all. And, I, and Mike, you bring up an interesting uh, line there talking about Butch's first year, and there were four and eight. And I think four or five losses of those were uh, maybe about seven points or less. Let me take a short break and ask you, Mike, another question uh, that I've been thinking about as the Tar Heels head into their first preseason camp with Matt Brown as the head coach, um, at least for this batch of Tar Heels. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. You've talked about the enthusiasm of a new coaching staff, but put yourself um, back where you were when you were in college. You know, it's a big deal heading into preseason training camp. Of course, they practice all the time these days, but you're going into training camp. A, um, you can do it as a a freshman, as a just enrolled in summer class freshman. But also, I think for this team, like it was when Butch Davis came, it's a completely new crowd there. Uh, save a couple guys that were retained from the old staff. But talk about the mindset of the players coming into that from a freshman or young guy standpoint, but also from an older guy standpoint when, yeah, it's still Carolina football, yeah, it still is what it is, but it's also very new given the staff turnover. 
Uh, so the freshmen, they just don't know any better. Um, so from a staff standpoint, this is all they know. And frankly, the, the, the kids who were true freshmen last year that are now going in this year that are either sophomores or redshirt freshmen, they, they still don't really know. Um, they didn't have a ton of time to really bond with that coaching staff. They're going to spend far more time over the next four years with this current staff than they did with their, with the staff that brought them in. So it's still kind of brand new for them too. And, and we'll get to, we'll get to what that mentality is like, but, um, it really, it, this is the adjustment to your first training camp is difficult. Um, for me, I mean, I, I had summer classes in Chapel Hill and I found myself and I've told, I tell people this a lot that I regret doing this so much, but I went home a lot, um, mainly cause I was from Mint Hill. So I was two and a half hours from Chapel Hill and I could just drive, you know, I could hit 85 two and a half hours. So I came home most weekends. Um, so I didn't really adjust, you know, Monday to Friday, I was up in Chapel Hill, Saturday, Sunday, I was usually back home in Charlotte. Um, so I never really got the, I am away from home feeling until I was in camp and didn't have the option to leave. And I started getting a little homesick and it's the whole summer is kind of a whirlwind because it's your first time in a college strength and conditioning program. Um, you know, you are in a locker room for the first time with grown, I mean, they're grown men, you know, they're 22 year old kids, but they are by any objective standard walking around on the street. Those are grown ass men and they're more mature. They've seen more stuff. They've done more in their, in their, in their life in that short period that they've had on this earth longer than you so it's intimidating because you just don't know those guys from an interpersonal relationship standpoint. Um, you know, that is, that's intimidating, just the getting along in the locker room aspect. Learning college football, learning the strength thing to that physically, mentally, emotionally, that's very, it's, it's difficult leading into camp. And then you actually get into training camp and you are just completely and totally submerged in it and you can't get away from it. So it's, it's, it can be overwhelming. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the best word to describe it is that all of that culminates in a, in an overwhelmed feeling, uh, at least early on in camp, you ultimately adjust to that. But in the very beginning, it's difficult for any freshman, how it is for the older guys with the new staff, the ones I'll tell you this, the ones that are going to play and the ones that are going to be good and are going to contribute to the program in a meaningful way, they're treating this like competition. Um, and it's a, I need to prove myself all over again thing to the, you know, to the, to the new coaching staff that's in there. So, you know, surprisingly, not everybody has that mentality. The ones that are going to be good and the ones that are going to be contributors, they do. And that's how they're, that's how they're treating this. It's a clean slate. It's a fresh start. Some guys have new positions, right? Chaz Surratt, um, you know, they're looking at this as an opportunity to really put on pads, um, you know, we had spring ball, sure, but, you know, in the heat of the summer, you know, football all day, no distractions, only football. You know, we're watching film all the time. I'm constantly being evaluated. This is a time to really prove yourself, to make your name, and to open up some coaches' eyes. And the, the good players, the competitors, the ones that are really going to make a difference at some point, they're taking that approach. And um, the the kids who, who were freshmen last year – who might be redshirt freshmen or sophomores coming into their second camp, they're sort of treating it the same way. Um, it's it's a do-over of their first-year camp. There's no real bad film on them. There's really no bad memories. It's sort of a wash. they got four more years coming up, so this is their first shot at kind of a new beginning, and you know that's how they're treating it. So you have the general overwhelmed feeling from the freshmen, and then the I get a fresh start, need to reprove myself feeling from the older guys, and, and generally that makes for a very competitive camp. But 
you agree with that? I mean, you've, you've been up close covering this stuff. I, I agree that there's a lot to prove for a lot of these guys. And, and I can imagine that this camp, especially given everything this program has been to, uh, it's going to be quite spirited, I think, as Mike says. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And to follow up on an earlier point, uh, when Mike was talking about, you know, the games were close, you know, during that four and eight season under Butch Davis, and, and you referred to that as well, that they were in a lot of ball games that first year. Here, here's something that probably not everybody understands or is aware of, but North Carolina was in a lot of close ball games last year. Uh, with a rash of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Teams that won four games last year uh, in the FBS, if you won four games, on average, you went into fourth quarter down by 10.3 points. UNC's average deficit headed into the fourth quarter was three points. And four win teams lost on at, by an average of 13 points. UNC's average loss was seven. So this team, even though they only won two games, they are not as bad. I'm convinced they are not as bad. And if you look at the numbers and you get into the statistics, this probably was, and Greg Barnes said this to me earlier, uh, Tommy, when we were on a podcast uh, a few weeks ago, that he thought last year headed into the season, UNC was a six-win team. I think he's probably pretty right. But there was a lot of things that happened last year that uh, is just uh, so unusual and so off the the mark in terms of how do bad teams, really bad teams, what do their numbers look like? And UNC's numbers did not look like a two-win team. So I don't think that this team that Mack inherited um, is, you know, I don't think he inherited a train wreck. And if anybody's interested, you can, my, well, my column is about this uh, today, but you could go to uh, davidmhale.com, uh, who has a article entitled, Mac Didn't Come Back to a Train Wreck. So, you know, give that a read. There's a lot of numbers in there that are, you know, some of them are hard to get your head around. But I, I just don't think that this team was nearly as bad as their, you know, we talk about they've only won five games in the last two years. I don't think that was a two-win team last year. So maybe, you know, there's going to be some guys that, you know, uh, take the attitude that uh, with a little extra effort, with a little bit more into it, and under a different coaching staff that's emphasizing different things, uh, you know, six wins is certainly a reasonable number, if not even a little more. See, Mike and I have tried to set expectations like we did on our podcast a couple of weeks ago with 
Greg Barnes a little bit lower than they may be and Buck's raising them up. And I don't disagree with you, Buck, at all about that. But, Mike, how do you flip a lose in – I don't want to say it like this because it sounds bad, but my, I'll say it like I was going to say it initially. How do you flip a losing mentality? Five wins in two years. Whether or not they were a two-win team or not, they won two games. So how does – how? I have no doubt that if the old staff was still there and bad things happened early in the season, it would spiral out of control. But with a new staff, I think things can be different, even if they stumble early. But how do you flip that mentality, Mike? Winning winning is a mentality. I just don't think you can go from being the beaten to being a, a, a great team in a season or two now, two or three seasons out. Yeah. Talk to well, me I mean, about that. It wouldn't be the first time you've seen it. It's happened in sports before, uh, but the quickest way to do it is to start winning and, and, you know, win the first game, beat South Carolina and Charlotte, get some, get some, you know, get some hype behind you and light a fire under your ass. That's, you know, the number one fastest way to turn around losing is to start winning. It's a pretty simple equation. Um, and there, you know, there, the, but what that does for you mentally is it, it shows these guys that, that they're, that they're capable of it. Right. And, and it's, it, Buck made a very good point that Carolina was in a lot of games, especially last year. Um, they were, they were in a lot of tight games despite a lot of injuries. So you, you know, you minimize the number of injuries you have, you have guys healthy, and then you, you experience some success early. And, and, and if you, you, you connect the dots there if you're a player and you say, well, when we're healthy, we're pretty good, right? You, you then expect to stay healthy and you expect to be good. Um, and that starts to, that, that contributes to you focusing a little, a little more, paying a, paying a little more attention to details. And then you start, turn, you know, you, 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 you clean up some of the small mistakes that you were making, right? Your attention to detail is a little more focused and, and you don't make you just you don't make the same little mistakes and the same little errors that you were making the past couple of years. You clean up some you clean up some um, you missed assignments. You clean up uh, basic fundamentals. You you tackle better. You catch the ball cleaner. Um, you know small things, basic football stuff. You clean that up, and that will start leading to wins. And when you see the fruit of that labor, right, that will just success will beget more success. But it really begins with. You know, you have you've had a lot of hype internally. You've had the local media kind of building you up a little bit. Everybody's very excited about Mac. You've these guys are now seeing the news that season tickets are sold out, so they know the fan base is behind them again. For some of them, the fan base is behind them for the first time, and you want to you want to provide for that, right? You want to you want to keep you want to keep that excitement going, and the best way to do that is to win. And once you see that sustained excitement, lead to early success and then that early success leads to some sustained success all of a sudden your losing mentality is transformed into a winning mentality but it really it really starts with fixing little things cleaning up little tiny errors you were making previously no longer making those small mistakes and watching that lead to early success that's that's how they'll do that tommy i i don't didn't mean to come across like i was setting expectations (laughs) off the charts you know i mean Uh, I'm just saying that based on, you know, a lot of the numbers that I'm seeing, North Carolina was not as bad of a team as their record last year. What that means for next year 
who knows? That's going to be up to next year's team, right? That's going to be up to the new coaches and the players and how much they buy in. And also, it's going to be up to how lucky they are. Are they going to stay healthy? Are they going to catch some breaks? Is the ball going to bounce their way? You know, here and there where it hadn't in the past. Those things remain to be seen. I'm just saying that just based on a lot of the data that you underline data that you look at, uh, the difference between uh, North Carolina's numbers and a really bad team, a team that won two games, they're a lot different. You, you, if you think about it, if your average deficit going into the fourth quarter of every ball game is three points, you're not getting blown out. You know, there's not a massive difference between wins and losses in terms of, um, you know, how the game was played out. Things just uh, two games lost in overtime. There, that's a part of it. But uh, it, I encourage people to read that article. It's very interesting, and my, my column today is about it, so people can look at that as well. But um, you know, I, I I think that it's it's not like Mac Brown came into a situation where there was no talent, no. Uh, hope of winning football games he was going to have to build you know from the ground up nothing to work with that's not the case at North Carolina and if if that's the attitude that anybody has taken then you know that that's going to be a drag on this year's team if they if they feel like well we we've got no chance maybe we'll win in two three years down the road uh then that's not going to bode well for for this year, they've got to believe that they can win, believe that the coaches are, are doing their dead level best to put them in a position to win and go out and play hard. That's all you can ask for. Indeed. And Mac Brown didn't come back to Carolina to, to lose a lot of ball games. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I mean, I, the title of this podcast now is going to be just win games. And it's going to be by Mike Ingersoll. How do you have a winning mentality? Well, you just win. So uh, appreciate the the help with the titling of the show, Mike. Let's wrap this one up a little bit. I got a couple more questions for each of you. Mike, what are you looking for in preseason camp? What's, what's the number one thing that you're going to be looking for? Um, I, I would think it would be somewhere on that offensive line, maybe see who's going to step up and, and join Heck as being a top-shelf guy? I'm looking to see who gets hurt. Um, injuries coming out of training camp are are critical, and staying healthy through camp is critical. And when you are amped up the way that, you know, in the ways that I've described so far on this podcast in terms of the way most guys are going to be treating this camp, you know, fresh start, you know, they're going to be hyper-competitive, um, you can start playing a little out of control and you end up getting hurt, especially in the heat when you're this tired. Um, you know, your technique goes a little bit, but you're still trying to go a million miles an hour. Guys sometimes get hurt. And it's it's every every camp you have it. You have guys get hurt. Some camps, more injuries happen than others. Um, but the the healthiest, the teams that come out of camp this year, the healthiest, are going to be the ones that have the best shot to win a lot of games. Um, 
the team that wins the national championship or the two teams that play for the national championship, if you go back and you look at training camp, you know, look at game one of the year, they will have been the teams that came out of camp the healthiest. They will also be extremely talented, right? But they will have come out of camp with minimal injuries. Um, and if they have them, they'll, they will have, they will have maximized health at key positions. Um, if Carolina is able to do that, regardless of the position group, um, particularly offensive line, you're right. It does matter. Um, you know, rolling out the, with, with rolling out into camp with five guys coming out of camp with the same five and rolling out in a game one with that same group of five guys is going to matter. Um, and it's really going to matter come game four or five of the season um, to, to build a little cohesiveness. So, I don't want to discount that at all, but from a general general standpoint, health is what I'm looking for coming out of camp. It's not any sort of development. It's it's who's going to get hurt and who stays healthy because that's that's how Carolina's season's going to go early on. If they're healthy, they've got a shot, and if they're not, it's going to be a tough you know tough hill to climb. Indeed, with the depth issues they have, they've got to stay healthy, especially on the on the lines on both sides of the ball. Buck, last question of the show. Talk to me a little bit about IC's coverage of preseason camp, training camp, and, and into the year. New coaches staff, new way of doing things. How will that affect uh, what our Inside Carolina premium subscribers especially can see on the message boards and on the website? Well, it's, it's going to follow from the spring a bit. And you know, one thing that uh, Inside Carolina premium subscribers have always looked forward to, and I hope all of those guys have hung on to the end of this podcast because this is important information for them headed into fall camp, which is this staff's uh, position is that they do not want any media to see team drills. And by team drills, Mike can elaborate on that if he wants to. I mean, the offense going against the defense, 11 on 11, uh, and, and switching back and forth between the first and second team and that sort of thing. Well, under Larry Fedora, there was a period of practice where they had a team drill at the very beginning of practice where they ran through, not at, uh, you know, full contact, uh, tempo, but they would just run through the first-team offense versus first-team defense, so on and so forth, just sort of walking through things. And because they did it that way, uh, we were in a position to fill out a depth chart. Uh, at the end of every practice, we would we would put out what we saw as a depth chart. A lot of times uh, we could not say, for example, that, that somebody moved up on the depth chart because the guy that normally might fill that spot was on the sideline in a red jersey on a bicycle, uh, and we, which we weren't allowed to talk about. So that that caused some consternation. But we're not really going to be able to fill out a depth chart uh, when fall camp starts. And uh, you know, you, you can like that or not like it, but, you know, I think the staff's attitude is that um, they would prefer uh, to keep competition alive and, and keep uh, everybody believing that, yeah, I've got a chance to play if I work hard 
Uh, and sometimes players might look at a depth chart. I'm third or I'm not missing or I'm not mentioned at all. And, and then all of a sudden you've got a morale problem on your hands and parents calling you and boosters from their locale calling you. So, you know, I, I think that what our inside Carolina subscribers have to get used to is that, you know, when, when we leave the, the field and that's it for the day for our observation period, we're not going to be able to fill out a depth chart for you. Uh, now, you know, a lot of times that sort of thing, some of that is you, you can guess yourself. I mean, Charlie heck is going to start. Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, but other and the further you go down and across the depth chart, we're not going to be able to fill in those blanks. And, and I think that's the way the staff wants it. Uh, so um, just a, a tidbit for those who are used to our practice scoops and, and what we normally put out, that depth chart info is going to be pretty thin this year, uh, at least until the South Carolina game. So uh, just something to bear in mind for people that uh, follow our uh, practice scoop coverage religiously, and there's a lot that do. So I wanted to throw that in. I hope people listen to the end so they got that info. But we'll we'll follow up and make sure everybody else knows as well. Yeah, the ones that listening, uh, the ones that care about the depth chart on the pod, on the practice scoops are still listening. So uh, it, it'll be an interesting cover for Greg Barnes and Buck and Ross and everybody else covering Carolina football for Inside Carolina and the rest of the area media heading into preseason camp, fall camp, season in just over a month. Mike and Buck, I always enjoy talking to you guys. We need to do it more often. Buck, I'll see you in person soon. Mike, I hope I see you in person either in Charlotte at South Carolina or in Chapel Hill at Miami. Um, But appreciate you guys joining the show. Thanks, Tommy. Enjoyed it, Mike. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.